Hey, we're in 1 John. Uh, if you're here for the first time and joining us, we're, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, thanks for coming to be a part of Outward Church. I know that we've got some students here uh, from uh, maybe a couple of different schools. And so glad that you're here. Thanks for coming back or joining us for the first time. If that's what's going on, we want to encourage you. Uh, to get plugged in. And you've come at a really great time because we are, at this point uh, uh, in the year right now, we are uh, in the middle of the Join a Team campaign. And what that means is that, like, if you want to get to know Outward Church, you want to become a part of what's going on here at Outward Church, the best way to do that is by joining a team. We do want you to join a, a community group or what have you, but the best way to really get plugged in is to join a team. That's where we see people really get plugged in, meet some other people while you're serving alongside of them, whether it's on Sunday morning or other things that we have going on, like at Richmond Elementary and uh, through the, the soccer program at Richmond Elementary or various other things that are going on throughout the week. And so um, this is really the, the foundation element of Jesus Church and our vision, and that is that we long to see people get plugged in and using their God-given gifts, uh, talents, abilities, and even through the power of the Spirit to do incredible things, and so this is an awesome opportunity for you to get plugged in. So the Join a Team campaign looks like this, like you can go online to outward.info, you can uh, check that out at the very top there, you can click Join a Team. And you can fill that out. Now, that may be too easy for you. And so you just think to yourself, well, I could just do it whenever. Um, but uh, maybe this is what you should do. Maybe you should go out to Connect Central out here. And you should uh, talk to someone and say, hey, um, I'm this kind of person. And this is, these are the kinds of things that I like to do. They may be able to help you get plugged in. And so that would be an awesome opportunity for you to get involved. And so uh, this is the Join a Team campaign. The reason why we do this is obviously because this is what Jesus calls us to do. But in addition to that is that when you're, when you're a part of a family, this church is a family. When you're a part of the family, uh, we, all, we all hop in. We all, we all join. We all, we all participate. And we are on a team together, and we are serving our city uh, as a church. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Like I said, we're in 1 John, and we've been walking through this book kind of methodically, and so what we've been talking about is, is uh, all, all of these things that First uh, John has to tell us. Uh, the Apostle John is really speaking here to us uh, by the power of the Spirit. He's written a letter to a church, and he's writing it to us as well. In large part, what he's talking about is he's saying, I, I want you to know, I want you to understand what it means to be a Christian. I want you to know that you are saved. I want you to have assurance that you are walking with Jesus, that you have a relationship with God, and, and that you are plugged into what God is doing. In fact, over the last uh, several weeks, what we've been talking about, actually I think it's like the last couple of weeks, uh, what we've been talking about are some pretty heavy things. So this is what John wants to tell us as people who are of Jesus. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then if you skip to verse 23 of chapter 2, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So he's, he's, he's giving very black and white terms of what it means to be a Christian, 
versus what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. Now, we live in a very fuzzy world. Our world is like, you know, I kind of like, I, I like God. I kind of like who he is. And I'm, you know, I go to church occasionally and, and so forth. But John is drawing a line in the sand and he's saying, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. And this is what it means to not be a Christ follower, which he calls the Antichrist. Okay? So just so that we're really clear, he's very black and white. And so then he says in verse 29 of chapter 2, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Do you see the statements that he's making here? Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. He really wants us to know and understand what this means. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you see what he's doing here? He began with saying that it, it's, it's faith in Christ. It has to be faith in Christ. Everyone, everyone who denies the Son does not know God. If you deny Jesus as God, you don't know God. And then he goes on to talk about, like, morally speaking, there's a moral test. Like, the, the people who practice righteousness... The people who practice righteousness are the people of God. But if you don't practice righteousness and you don't love your brother, you are failing the moral test in that sense. It's, it, it's almost kind of scary. Like if you're not practicing righteousness on a regular basis, then we, you, you might be scratching your head going, Am I, do I really know Jesus? Am I really following him? He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Look at uh, 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's saying... It's not just that you love God. It's not just that you kind of don't sin for the most part. It's that, you're, it's, it's that you're practicing righteousness. It's not just that you're not practicing lawlessness. It's that you're practicing righteousness. And more than just practicing righteousness, you're practicing love, which is righteousness towards your brother or sister in this world. And then it goes on, even further and says, but it's not just that you love that person. It's not just that you say that you love that person. It's that you actually practice loving that person. It's that, it's that you actually show that you have a love for this person. It, it, it almost seems obvious. In fact, I think it's very obvious. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? What's the answer to that? It doesn't. At least God's love isn't abiding at that moment. 
But if you can, can consistently act in a way that is inconsistent with who Jesus is, then we have to, we have to ask a question. Do I know Jesus? Do I have relationship with him? This is a massive problem in the local church. This is a massive problem for those of us who call ourselves Christians. But it's not just this love piece. It's not just showing that we love someone. There's also this, this moral aspect. We use the cross, which is the method of forgiveness that God uses for us because of our sin. We use the cross as an occasion for sin. We use the cross as, uh, as the reason why we would be okay with continually sinning and engaging with unrighteous behavior. Instead of looking at our sin and, and calling it sin, we say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's a sin that's forgiven by God. And it is. And yet we use the cross as an occasion. John says, I want you to be careful. I want you to see what's going on in your life. Some of us are viewing God as though he's light and fluffy. Rather than heavy and meaningful. How do we view God? Who is God? What is he like to you? Have you made a definition of who God is in your life? A definition that's void of the scriptures? So John's looking back over all of these things. Faith in Christ. The moral test. The love test. He's looking at these things. And then he says this in verse 19. And this is what we're preaching out of this morning. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our heart before him. So look at what he just said there. He said, by this, and we got we to figure out what this is here in a second. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not, con if, if our heart does not, condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now back to verse 19 here. He says, by this shall we know. By this shall we know. He says that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a conversation that goes on in our heads all the time. He's talking about a conversation that we have on a continual basis, which says this, <clears throat> Am I right with God? Have I done what's morally right? Have I walked in the way that God has called me to walk? 
You can even look back to the previous verses because I think it's really picking up that sense when he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. He's saying, you've got to look at your life and say, like, you can be all talk and no action all day long. And that doesn't mean that you're a believer. Like, you can say that you love people all the time, but that doesn't really show where your faith is. That doesn't really show that. So he says, listen, by this shall we know. And what is this? Well, I think he's pointing back to that verse, and he's saying, like, let us, let us love not just in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Like, in a real sense, we've got to be loving people in a very real and tangible sense. So, how does this work out in our lives? We can say, I can say all day long that I care about the kids that are in the elementary schools around this city. I can say it all day long. I can say that I care about kids that are in the foster care system, that are, that are being abused, uh, not necessarily in the foster care system, but have been abused, and now they are in the foster care system. I can say that I care about them. I can say that I love them. I can say that I want there to be uh, a difference in our city. We've talked about this before as a church. You think about, uh, you know, the next generation and what's going to happen in that generation. What will crime be like in Salem? What will, what will the quality of our lives be like? What will law enforcement look like in Salem? It's directly related to the kids that are growing up right now. Now, Outward Church, we can say that we love the kids over at Richmond Elementary. And we can say that we love the kids that are in the foster care system. But I want to tell you that saying that we love them is much different than showing them that we love them. Saying that we care about people in our city is much different than actually loving them. Well, why is this so difficult? Well, it's difficult because of this, because many of us are in a stage of life where we're busy. In fact, we have just about all ages in this room. There's a lot of young people in here, I know, but, but a lot of us are in a stage of life where we'd say, you know, I'm busy. I've got things going on in my life. I've, I've just, I've had this going on, I've had that going on, I've had whatever. John kind of cuts through all the crud, and he just says this. Listen, this equals this. Lack of action, lack of love. When there's action-oriented love involved in your life, then there's real love for God. There's real love for people. If that's, if that's absent, then you're kind of missing it. But what John says is he says, by this we shall know. So there's, there's something that we can know. There's something that we can think about that can begin to reassure our hearts that we know him. There's something that we can learn. There's some type of knowledge. There's some type of, of, some, some type of information in fact, there was a heretical group, I've mentioned this every week or just about, a heretical group that claims a secret knowledge during John's day. And they were pointing people away from Jesus, and they were pointing people away from morality, and they were pointing people away from action-oriented love. And they claim this secret knowledge. So John says to them, by this shall we know. This is how you're going to know that you have a relationship with God. 
Now, some of us are in, are in a boat where we're just like, we're perplexed because I, we, we understand our immorality. We understand where we've been. We understand what we've been doing. And what happens as a result with that person is an immense amount of guilt, an immense amount of guilt and shame. I talk to people all the time. I'd say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just dealing with this shame. I'm dealing with this guilt. I don't know how God can love me. John says, by this shall we know that we are of the truth, that you're on the right track, that you're going in the right direction. So here's, here's some good news for people that are in the midst of shame. You can know that you're on the right track. You can know. You can be there. Here's good news for people that are in a situation where you say, you know what, I'm that kind of person who has not been walking morally. I'm the kind of person who does not really show love. I'm so wrapped up in my own commitments. I'm so wrapped up in all of the things that I'm doing that I never have time for other people. I'm, I'm not generous with my time or with my money or with anything else or with my things. I'm not engaging uh, with people who have needs. In fact, I think, you know what? That's the government's job to do that. I think, well, yeah, you know, the government should be taking care of these people, making sure that they're okay, completely forgetting that this has been the role of the church forever to take care of hurting people. So uh, John Stott says this, It is the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts may be silenced. It is the mind's knowledge. There is something that you can know. It is the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts may be silenced. So if you're walking in doubt this morning, listen up. Verse 20, he says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, that can either be a comfort or it can be a curse. It can be somewhat comforting to, so, to, to, to know that God kind of knows what's going on inside of me. That God can kind of see what's going on inside of me. But it could also feel like a curse. It can also feel like a curse because what's really happening in my heart, the conversation that I have with me, is that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. See, I think that verse is a little bit complicated. And in fact, commentators kind of go back and forth on what exactly does it mean. Here's what I believe is going on here. I believe he's setting something up here for us. He's showing us who God actually is. If, if you're somebody that is either soothed by your own heart or you are shamed by your own heart, like your heart holds the preeminent seat in your life, like you, like you are somebody who is really held together by, by how you feel, and John is saying, I don't want you to so much care about how you feel. I want you to understand who the God is that you claim to serve. I want you to understand who this God is. 
And so that's the question we have to ask. Who is God? We sang a psalm this morning talking about who God is. If you look in uh, Exodus chapter 34, you don't need to turn there with me. Exodus chapter 34, Moses has broken the tablets of the Ten Commandments, if you remember the story. If you don't, that's okay. He's broken the tablets, and so what's, what's going on is that he's going up and he's going to get some, some more tablets. And he tells God, he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Please show me your glory, he says in Exodus 33, verse 18. And so God says, okay, I'm going to, you know, you bring up two tone tablets to replace the two that you broke. I mean, it's, it's really funny. It, look, I'm going to look at that verse. It says, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. I love it. And so then God says, okay, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going I'm to kind of show you who I am, but I can't completely show you who I am because you'll die. Now think about the God that you serve, the God that you claim to serve. Is there a level, is there an understanding that if I were to see God in his fullness, that I'm dead meat? I'm like Isaiah, who sees, who sees God. I think he sees Jesus, but he sees God in the temple. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and I am ruined. For my eyes have seen the king. He's just, he's freaking out, as he should. God hides Moses in the cleft of this rock. And then he's going to proclaim his name. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 34 in Exodus, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. I mean, can you imagine like God speaking, like Yahweh speaking, and like proclaiming this over you? Or he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, of mer a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children's and the children's children's uh, to the third and fourth generation. That's a mouthful. God, is that really your full name? That's God... When he says, I want you to know who I am. I want you to see who I am in all of my fullness. If you're going to serve me, if you're going to walk with me, if you're going to lead my people, Moses, I want you to see who I actually am. Now, do we see who he is? Because some of us need to see that he is a God who is merciful and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and he keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity. Wait a minute. He's not just a, a God of love, but and so he just accepts me exactly the way that I am and everything's just fine. I can do whatever I want. No, he says there's sin in my life. There's sin in your life. We are all people who are broken. 
We are all people who have sin. John acknowledges that in 1 John. But if we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But he is a God who forgives iniquity. Have you acknowledged your sin? Have you, have you said the same thing about what God believes about your sin? He says, and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? See that? That says something else to me. That he is a gracious and merciful and righteous and compassionate judge. He is a righteous judge who will by no means clear the guilty. But he forgives iniquity. How does that work? Jesus. That's, that's how that works. But go back to our passage here. Whenever our heart condemns us, it says in verse 20, God is greater than our heart. Do you see who God is? He's the judge. God is the judge. And he's greater than our heart. Now, what's going on with our heart? Our heart is the one that is condemning us. Our heart is, say, our conscience. And our heart is is saying, you have not done rightly. You are not acting appropriately. You are living in immorality. This heart is accusing us. It's not the accuser, it's the heart. It's the heart, and what is the heart doing? The heart is accusing, and it is the conscience. It is the God-given conscience that is awakening us and, and saying to us, you should not be acting in this way. But what do we do? We view God as light and fluffy. And we say, you know what? It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, God forgives. We use the cross as an occasion for sin. We go on sinning. So we have this accuser that is accusing us, and then we let ourselves off the hook. And so what do we have? We have a seared conscience. We have a conscience that is not bothered by the things that we do any longer. We have a conscience that is not bothered by the fact that we say that we're Christians, and yet we do not act in a loving way. We say that we're walking with Jesus, and yet we don't act the way that Jesus does. We don't lay our lives down for our brothers. We just do whatever we want. And instead of acting the way that our God acts, we act in the way that we believe that we should act. And guess what that is? It's being your own God. It's being your own Lord and Savior. How can, what does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Well, it's, it's easier to say this. It's to make Jesus your Lord and Savior instead of you. If you're saving you, then guess what you're going to do? When you get angry, you have to express your anger to its fullness. You have to tell someone, I'm angry with you. I hate you. I don't like you. If you're your own Lord and Savior, then what's, what's going to happen? You're going to keep your, your goods to yourself. You're going to say, you know, this is my stuff. I get to keep it. You're your own Lord and Savior. But if Jesus is your Savior, 
then something is different. If Jesus is your Savior, then he's the one who rules your life. He says in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart doesn't condemn us, like if what's going on in our lives, it's just very obvious. Like my conscience is not bothering me. I stand before God and on some level I feel clean. I feel like, you know what? I want to follow God. I, I'm fighting against, I'm fighting against the urge to convince myself, no, keep your money to yourself. Don't help that person, that single mom. I'm, I'm fighting this, I have this battle going on inside of me, and I am winning that battle. I'm winning that battle to serve other people and to say, you know what, I say that I love them, and so I'm going to love them. I say that I love God, and so what's going to happen with me is that instead of practicing lawlessness, instead of just going to church sometimes and being like, you know what, who cares what I do? I'm just going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to cheat on my husband. I'm just going to, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to check out porn. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to cheat people in, in business. I'm going to go out and just make a mess what people think the Christianity is like. Instead of being that, what I start to do is I begin to fight against it. And that's when, we, when if my heart isn't condemning me, then what happens is, is that when I come to God, I have confidence in Him. Now, some of us are dealing with a shame-filled heart. We have a shame-filled heart that is constantly condemning us, saying, you did not act rightly here. And we don't know what to do about it because we can never get through by this shall we know, John says. This, here's how you know that you are of the truth. And you can begin to preach your heart out of sin and shame by claiming the truth. He says in verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Now, what does that mean? Look at it in the opposite way. You have a condemning heart because the truth is is that you haven't been walking with God. You have a condemning heart. And so sometimes what happens is this. I don't go to God in prayer because I don't expect to get anything out of Him. Because I haven't been honoring God with my life. I haven't been living for God. And so why even pray? Because I know that I'm not honoring Him. We all know that we do this. It's like when you screw up at work and you just kind of like, I'm just going to stay away from the boss for a little while. I'm just not going to open my mouth for a little bit. It's, it's that kind of thing where we say, you know, I just, I'm, I'm separated from God in some ways because I've just been walking in this way. But John is saying here that we can come with confidence before God when we do not have a condemning heart. And what happens as a result is that whatever we ask, we receive from him, which is a crazy promise, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, we preach all the time against prosperity gospel, all the time. So 
A lot of TV preachers. Uh, a lot of, uh, there's quite a few popular preachers. Some are really good, and some of them are a little sketch, right? They got, they got, got some issues. It's the name it and claim it crowd. I got, I, I'm, I'm going to claim this blessing. I know that I'm righteous before God, so Jesus, I need a million dollars. I once did some work for some lady, and she told me that, uh, that she was praying, and she was believing that God was going to give her a million dollars so that she could help other people. And she lived in this nice house up on this hill. She probably, in comparison to a lot of people in this world, she already had a million dollars. And I wanted to say, what are you doing right now, sister? Like, what's happening right here, right now with this stuff? Like, there wasn't enough here to give anybody? She believed that she could just ask God for this. And she, she believed if she just had enough faith, she would do that. That's not what John is talking about. John's not saying, you know, uh, if, you just, if you just believe and you do what's right, then God's going to give you everything that you want. No, because here's what it says in Psalms. If you delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What that means is not that whatever I desire, really, that's, that's amazing. Like steak for every meal. Like lots of big trucks and, uh, you know, I know, whatever is on your mind right now, I have no idea. Like a- anything that I want, God? No, it's anything that's in line with who God is. It's when we ask in accordance with the will of God. Because as you're walking with God, what happens is this, is that you begin to walk in the will of God. And so the truth is, is that I'm not asking for things from God that are just frivolous or dumb. God is the one who directs me in this. And then when he doesn't answer those prayers... I can acknowledge him as the one who's leading. I can acknowledge him as the God who knows all things. And I say, God, I believe that I need this, but ultimately you are sovereign and you are Lord. And so I'm just asking that you would provide in this area. That is asking in the will of God. And so he's not saying you can ask for whatever you want. He's saying... He's saying that when you ask in accordance with the will of God, as other scripture clearly teaches, when you ask those things and you are somebody who's concerned about keeping the commandments of God and doing what pleases him instead of what pleases yourself, you get to stand in front of God with confidence. It is is simple, simple math in some respects. When you're doing what pleases God, you can stand before God with confidence. Now, he says in verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. John returns it back to Jesus, the person of Jesus. And why does he do that? Because you can read all this, and you can look at all this, and you can say, okay, my confidence is going to come solely from my ability to keep God's commandments. 
I'm going to have confidence because I'm going to do what's right. That's, that's where my confidence is, is going to come from. Now, you can gain confidence through doing what's right. I believe that's what John is saying. But John is saying that ultimately the first thing that must happen, the first thing that has to take place, otherwise nothing else is possible. Like there's no confidence before God without this commandment. There's no confidence before God, before the righteous judge, before our heart. There's no confidence before him if this has not been lived out in its fullness. This is the commandment, that you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, there can be nothing else. There can be no confidence. There can be nothing that does not begin in this place first. Like, you can try to live a moral life. You can try to be a good person. You can try to do all the right things. But if you don't have the first thing right, you'll never have anything right. If you're not right with God, first and foremost, through Jesus, then what's not going to happen is this. You're never going to have peace with God in the way that you really want it. And everybody's looking for peace with God. They're just trying to find it in their own way most of the time. And so what is this? What does it mean to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? When I'm doing my own thing, when I'm living the way that I want to, when I'm, when I'm acting however I desire, do you know whose name I'm living in? The name of Matt Porter. That's, that's my name, by the way. So I'm living in my own name. I'm living in my own power. I believe in me. I believe in, in what I can do. I, get, I, I believe in the way that I can act. But he is saying, you have to take your belief in yourself, in your ability to accomplish all these things, to be a loving person. Because some of you are sitting here, and you are somebody who's pretty nice to people. But it, it still is self-motivated because your desire to be nice to people is motivated by the desire to be seen as nice. It's not motivated out of a desire to glorify the God who created you. It's not motivated out of a desire to live and to lay down your life in the way that Jesus has laid down his life for you. And so what's ultimately motivating your desire for goodness or morality or kindness or love is ultimately rooted in self-centeredness and pride. It is ultimately rooted in your abilities to do what you believe needs to be done. And so you are God. And when you're righteous, you're righteous in your own eyes. But do you know how many people in this world are righteous in their own eyes? Do you know how many people believe that they're doing what's right? And we clearly see that we have massive problems in our world. We have more technology. We have more abilities. We have more medical expertise than we've ever had. And yet we have more and more and more problems. It seems like there's more and more and more Mental health issues. Seems like there's more mass killings. There's more 
permissiveness when it comes to how we view sex. There's more of whatever you want. So who can be right? Who is right? I'm here to tell you this morning that God is the only one who is right. And when we try to act rightly without God, it only makes things worse. It only creates more problems. And so he says in verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. When Jesus is your starting point, when Jesus is your starting point, and you look at how he laid his life down for you, when you know and understand that Jesus, the Son of God, as God in the flesh, he descends from heaven, and he takes on an absolutely brutal death that you and I cannot even imagine. He takes on this incredibly brutal death, and what takes place as a result is that when he's on the cross, he's saying to you, he's saying, I'm dying for your sins. I am making it available to anyone. Anyone who wants to receive it can receive forgiveness through my cross, through my resurrection, Jesus says to you. And so he's offering that. And that's why John says, you got to believe in the name of, this, uh, the, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he says, when that takes place, what's going to happen is this. When that's happened in reality... When you've really given your life to Jesus Christ, when you've been saved by God, what's going to happen is this. You're going to want to keep his commandments. You're going to want to abide in God and have God abide in you. You're going to be thinking to yourself, I want more of God in my life. Your life is going to begin to change in some ways that you never realized. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he was telling me about his business partner, and he said, uh, he said, uh, you know, him and I have been friends for our entire life. I mean, we, we grew up as, as kids together, and he's never really been a believer. And he said, but something happened over the last couple of years as I, I've been sharing the gospel with him. I've been telling him about the love of God seen in Jesus Christ on the cross. I've been telling him over and over and over again, and then finally, something changed. And he, he finally said, okay, I want this. I want to be a part of this. And, and, and without even knowing, he said, and now you wouldn't believe what's going on in his life. He said, this guy, he apparently has had money, never really concerned for other people prior to this, but what happened in him was this, is that he began to serve this guy who was working for them. He began to serve this guy. He was homeless, and he gave him a job, I think. He needed some leadership training, and so he gave him some leadership training. He helped him get into here. He helped him with there. He's taken this guy on as his project. Not that he is a project, but he took him on, and he's loving this guy. Now, what does that show? 
It shows Jesus laid down his life for this man. And, what the, and my friend was telling me, this man's life has changed because he is laying his life down for this guy. You see what's going on? That he was once like this, and now he's like this. His life is changing. What's your story like? When you became a Christian, perhaps you were just a young child, so you don't really know what was going on. But if you're like me at all, I came to a point in my life where I was like, I don't think I'm living like a Christian. I don't think I'm living the way that God wants me to. I had all kinds of shame and guilt. I was dealing with all kinds of problems. And God got a hold of my life. And I told God, I want to walk with you. But the thing that I couldn't, what I couldn't get to was this, is that I always questioned my sincerity. When I said, God, I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. There was a part of me that was still like, I'm not sure that I really want that. Because the truth is, my buddies are going to call. I'm going to hear that there are girls at that party, and then I am going, all right? The, the truth is, is that I could only honestly talk to God and say, God, what I really want is I want to walk with you, but the truth is, is that I'm still like 10 steps back, and I'm just going, I don't know that I really want that. And so I began to have a serious conversation, a serious prayer that we talk about often here at Outward Church. Because there's this, there's this level of authenticity about us where we say, you know what, I don't, I don't really want that but I kind of want it. And so what we see here at Outward is that sometimes we just got to pray that God would make us want to want to follow him. So sometimes we just have to pray, like, God, I don't think I really want to follow you, but, I, but the thing is that I, I feel that there's this seed in me. I feel like there's something that's driving me towards you, and that's what he says here. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Now, what's the Spirit doing? The Spirit is doing something in my heart, and He's changing me. And He's softening my heart. He's taking a seared conscience. He's taking a heart of stone, and He's giving me a heart of flesh. And He's changing my heart. He's making my heart feel again. And I begin to feel like I want to follow this God, but I'm not sure that I want to. And so sometimes I had to start a few steps back, and I said, God, I have to want. God, I want to want to want to want to want to want to follow you. And so I would have to start way back, and I'd say, God, my life is nowhere in comparison to where I think you want me to be. But the truth is, I want to walk in your ways. Do you know what that is? That's the Spirit of God who resides in you if you have Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. Do you want to want to want to want to want infinity at least a little bit? Do you want to follow God? Because you can't want to follow God without God wanting you to follow him by the power of his spirit. That doesn't come from you. It does not come from you. It comes from God alone. Do you want to follow him? Men and women, I can't say it any more clearly. If we're walking in shame, if we're walking in whatever it is, and it, and it is, it's disabling our prayer life. We're going to be ineffective believers for Jesus Christ. 
Our prayer lives are going to be stunted. We have no confidence with him if you're walking in shame. But you can have confidence through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he's the one who saved you. You didn't save yourself. And that you can want to follow him by the power of the Spirit. And as a result, walk morally upright and love people not just with your words but with your deeds. Now, what would happen if our church did that? What would happen if our church decided, if this church, if all of us here said, I'm not going to be a joker anymore. I'm talking about myself too. I'm, I'm not going to be someone who's just playing church. I'm going to be somebody who is the church in my city. We're starting a new year here. What's that look like for us? I love these words. I love these words from, from John. I want to encourage you to do some business with God, especially uh, this morning as the band comes forward, to do some business with God where you're just honestly telling him what's going on in your life. Is your conscience seared from what you've been doing, the way that you've been acting? Who, who in your life do you need to show love to that your, your heart's been like, Ugh, I should probably help them with this, but don't really want to. Who are you laying your life down for? Jesus laid his life down for you. Who are we laying our lives down for? What do we need to confess this morning to Jesus? The way of a Christian is consistent confession and repentance. It's not, it just, it's not just the first time. It's all of life. It's confession and repentance. What do we need to confess to Jesus this morning? What do you need to confess? And then walk in repentance. And the reason why we do that is, is that we come together and we partake of communion. And communion is a picture of Jesus going to the cross for us. And it's a, it's a picture that we are to experience. And so we confess our sin, we repent of our sin, and we begin to just ask that the Lord would make us want to follow him. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning I want to pray for these folks here. That, Lord, that you would do something amazing in our lives, that we'd have a sense of your spirit moving on our hearts to make things different. Lord, that you would do something incredible in us, in our, not just in us individually, but, Lord, in us as a church. And, Lord, that people would know that we are your disciples by our, our love for one another, our love for you, the way we live. So, Lord, we ask you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's.